welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today on the show, I have Denise Riannis, Executive Director of Plan Giving for Diabetes Canada. Denise is an accomplished expert in the field of plan giving, having worked with several major charities and helping donors figure out how they can both A, connect with the charity that they are trying to help and B, you know, figure out innovative ways in order to plan their giving more than just cutting a check on an annual basis. So I brought her on the show to talk about the motivations, the methods, and kind of strategies that basically would lead to people doing large gifts to charities. And with that, here's my interview with Denise. Denise, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me on. So Denise Fernandez, you have a very long title that goes beyond what I said, which was Director of Planned Giving for Diabetes Canada. Tell us what it is you do for a living. So I have the pleasure of working with donors uh, at all levels, both in life on the major gift side, as well as uh, working with uh, donors on planning for future gifts and, and uh, gifts in their will. Excellent. So that's a very simplified way of saying ideal with giving money to charities. But what we're actually going to be talking about is some of the most complex gifting to charities that happens in the country, right? So let's start off with the motivation. So I've had other people talk about charitable giving on, on the show, you know, people you know, like Mark Halpern, for example, and basically people are benevolent, there can be. So people can just cut checks to a charity, but what typically drives them to get more involved with one or another charity on a deeper way to give larger gifts? I think a lot of people have a connection to the cause, and I think it makes uh, the most sense to find a charity that you're passionate about and really focus on how you can be involved and how you can invest in, in a charity to have the impact that you want to have in this world. I did simplify that, you know, it is just, it's it's a gift and it's connecting, but there's so many strategic ways of giving that are not giving cash. And uh, so that's really where I work with advisors uh, like yourself to really make sure that we are getting the maximum giving uh, with the maximum advantages to the donor as well. Excellent. So the, you know, I'm going to borrow from Mark. Uh, one of his favorite sayings on this is when you pass away, you basically have, you know, three choices is to get your money, your, your beneficiaries, charity of choice or CRA pick two. So there's the other, the other, and that's some kind of the bumbling here, but yeah. And that's just a simple way of saying that, frankly, there are tax incentives to how you give money to charity that doesn't have to happen when you die, can happen while you're alive, that can really be kind of force multipliers and basically get more hands in the charity, more money in the hands of the charity than would otherwise be done in just giving cash and because you're reducing the tax burden on the individual. So I want to explore some of those, but let's let's talk about how people get started in your job, first of all, like when people come to you and say, you know what, I've got a deep connection to this cause because, you know, I've had this issue. My family members have had this issue. What does the process look like from your end before we even start talking about how they're going to give? Yeah. So first and foremost, I am not a financial advisor. I have been in this world for the 15 years. So have really gotten to know how some of this works, but I always do refer the donors to talk to their advisors to make sure that whatever we discuss makes sense for them. And so I work with the donors to see what impact do they want. So there's two ways of saying, how big a gift do you want? What impact do you want? So it kind of comes out both ways. Sometimes it's like, oh, my accountant says I have to give $100,000 so I don't have to pay taxes. And then we work around what $100,000 can do. And the other times it's like, I've come to a part of my life where I want to give back and 
how do I do it? And we'll go through, okay, well, what assets do you have that we can kind of work through with your advisor as to what makes sense and, and what impact do we want to have either just in this tax year or over multiple years as well? Excellent. So the obvious easiest thing to do, assuming that there's no other tax issues there, is to give cash, right? Give cash personally. But let's talk about alternatives. So what other types of donations have you helped structure in the past? So, I mean, cash cash is still tax advantageous. We're lucky to live in Canada and you do get you do get money back for any cash gifts that you give. But there are other ways of giving that give you more back. And so one of the things that I had started at SickKids was actually looking at life insurance. And so life insurance is often seen as something that give to and and you just have there, but how about looking at life insurance as an asset? So what does that look like? And so working with actuaries to take on life insurance policies at certain charities, and and that's been a way of of doing it. And it depends on where you need your tax. Is it in your state or is it in life right now? Mm -hmm. So worked on several of those gifts uh, with advisors. Also, we have flow through shares, which are a little bit interesting. I don't know if we want to get into. Yeah. So let's, let's tackle both of those. I'll give you some background before we get into that. So the first one is, and for those who hear some, some tapping, for those of you who know, who haven't heard previous podcasts, my son is taking remote kindergarten right now in COVID. And right now he's done some sort of pencil tapping exercise. So if you hear that, I apologize. So Basically, let's start to go back to the insurance. So there's method, various methodologies for giving insurance policies, both personal and corporate. We're not going to dive in deep here with that simply because Mark and I beat that horse to death on a previous podcast. So if you want to know more about that, if you have, if you want to donate a smaller amount that becomes a larger amount through insurance, or if you have an insurance policy you no longer need personally or corporately, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that because it can be incredibly beneficial, especially if it's something you were going to get rid of in the first place. Suddenly it can become a massive asset. And I'll just skip next to flow through shares, explain that and we can come back and you can tell me about how that works. So flow through shares are a type of investment that have certain tax benefits. But the reality is, is that you will often invest a certain amount of money into it. But then what typically happens is through tax incentives, the cost base ends up being a fraction of what it was that you actually invested. So what then happens over time is when you want to cash them out, even if they stay the same, you have this large deferred tax liability. So talk to me about, and actually I would say it's not just flow through shares, even stocks with large deferred tax liabilities, whatever it is. So what we're really talking about is assets with deferred tax liabilities. Talk to me how that works. So, I mean, it depends. Uh, it varies very much by province. I'm definitely not an expert, but ha- rely on many experts to make these things happen. But it is it is a very low cost per dollar type of giving. Uh, you put some more extra money up front, but you do get it back. And so it depending on your province, it's about 20 cents on the dollar that you're getting. So if you are giving $20,000, your $20,000 can now be $100,000 to the charity. And so there's um, there's those benefits of really how do you maximize your giving there? Yeah. And what we're doing there is essentially, and this is and just to go back on some tax stuff, if you donate, this is this all goes down to, comes down to donating things in kind versus in cash, right? So people think, oh, I'm going to you know, I have this profit, I'm going to sell this asset and basically then donate that money to charity. The problem is you you trigger a tax bill and then you get a, you get a tax credit. If you donate in kind, you don't get the tax bill, but you get the tax credit. So massively advantageous. So basically this is done with marketable securities, right? Any other examples of donations with deferred capital gains that you've, you've seen that get done? Deferred capital gains. Well, I mean, there's other ways, I mean, not deferred capital gains, but as you know, RSPs are very highly taxable at mm. the end of life. They roll over to your spouse, but nobody else. And so 
you get about half of what you've put in back because you haven't paid taxes uh, your entire life on them. And so um, giving to or just transferring them to a charity um, gives you the tax receipt and just wipes out the taxes on those. So it's cool. not really a capital gain savings, but it is a tax a tax savings. Well, that's a lot bigger than capital gains. Now we're talking about full income. So <laughs> and actually, I will say that's one strategy I haven't seen a lot of. So are you seeing, have you had a lot of people or a lot of people you've spoken to who just said, you know what, I'm going to make the RSP the beneficiary, so, you know, the charity the beneficiary of my RSP? We haven't seen a lot of it, but we have seen some. There's a, a program that really talks about it, donor motivation program that talks about it as the 60-second request. Uh, your RSPs is a beneficiary form, so it goes outside of your outside of your will. So you can really make an impact to charities by by making a charity a beneficiary of your RSPs for sure. Hopefully, mm. we'll see more of that in the future. Well, I'm actually surprised I haven't even talked about that or heard more of that strategy. And now, it actually, it's a little shameful. It actually hasn't occurred to me as much, but it, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because the beneficiary receives the full amount of the account. So let's just say we'll use a round number of just like half a million dollars, just a big round number, half a million dollars. They receive the charity receives that issues a tax credit to the estate. What people don't realize and how this works is that the beneficiary receives the money, but the tax bill goes to the estate. So we always caution people, don't say like, I have a half million dollars being a half million dollar cottage, I'm going to leave one to each kid. You haven't factored into the tax bills. That, that can cause all kinds of problems because the one who gets the RSP could stick the other one with the tax bill. And there's plenty of cases in precedent court, in court that basically have proven that that's the case and it sticks. So what you're doing there is you're effectively, you're effectively giving it to the charity, wiping out most, if not all of the tax bill on the RSP. That's yeah, it's not a bad strategy. I kind of like that. I'm actually quite surprised I don't see or hear more of that. Although I will caution people on one thing. Those of us who live in Ontario, Ontario has the lowest credit rate for charitable donations in the country. So it does not wipe out the entirety of the tax bill. I've seen some people unfortunately bungle that up and be surprised that they didn't get the full tax deduction that they thought they were going to get. So it is what it is. We've seen, I've experienced where we were a charity, we were supposed to get the entirety of the state, but the brother received the RSPs and we ended up with zero and the brother ended up with a whole lot of money. So, so uh, it works so the, even, even in the same way, for sure. So. so the estate was named the beneficiary, named the charity beneficiary, but the only thing they had left was the RSP. And because it travels outside the estate, the brother just basically said, thank you very much, gave you the middle finger and walked off. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. We, yeah, we tried that, to negotiate, means, but it didn't really work yeah. out. So. Well, yeah. you, you technically have no legal entitlement there. I mean, the, the only, and, and just, and for those of you, for the record, CRA will go after the beneficiary if there's nothing in the state to cover it. So there's no escaping the tax man. Unfortunately, there is escaping the charitable bequest, which is not cool. Anyway, so that's interesting, creative. What other tricks do you have up your sleeve that I haven't seen before? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, so most of our charitable bequests in the charitable sector come from wills. So it's bequests, mm-hmm. I would say 90% of of our gifts come through that way. And then we have life insurance where, you know, we're a beneficiary or, or not. And then, or we're the owner and beneficiary of the uh, life insurance. There's some older kind of things like charitable gift annuities, which really don't make sense right now with the interest rates. We have seen those uh, from time to time. And there's gifts of, of land. There's gifts, people leave their homes and, and things like that. So uh, really kind of the in-kind type of gifts We've had anything from, you know, art to certain collections of things and uh, jewelry. And I mean, we, we've even had gold teeth at, at times when we've been a beneficiary of an on, entire estate. 
So someone, someone left you their key. No, they left us their entire estate and part of what was in their assets was gold in the form of a gold tooth. We didn't get much for it. We <laughs> we, we went to the pawn shop and, and got probably $25 for it, but it's one that yeah. sticks in my mind. <laughs> That is, I mean, family lawyers and estate lawyers have some of the most fascinating stories. I mean, family lawyers get to see families, unfortunately, at their worst when things are breaking up. So you get some crazy family dynamics. Estate lawyers get to see the family dynamics again differently, but they also sometimes get to see the weirdest inheritance stuff. I mean, one of the weirdest things that I heard left in someone's house was a cannon circa like World War One or something like that. So that was a little bit shocking. But gold tooth left in the estate. That is, that is new. That is new. I've, I haven't heard that. Live long enough, you see everything, right? So I want to spend a little bit of time on the estate planning side of this. So again, as the conversation with Mark went, your heirs, the charity, or the tax authority pick two. So the conversation around putting it into the estate, how many of these conversations are you having and how many people do you see actually using this as a primary method of giving? On the charitable side, people definitely work with their advisors, but as as they think through the impact they want to make, they'll they'll start involving the charity, or at least I hope they do, because if you want something specific at a charity, if you want something named, if you want, you know, if it's a scholarship at a university, if it's an endowment somewhere, that's where the charity really needs to be involved. And, and we work very hard on trying to get future gifts that don't show up in the year that we're working on them. And so letting us know that it's something that you've, you've thought of, there's a lot of recognition programs that really get you involved so you can see impact of that your gift will have in life. And that's really where we get involved and, and working with the advisor, the lawyer that is working on, on their estate plan, the advisor that's working on their estate plan. That's who we want to work with in conjunction with the donors so that we make sure that whatever they want is what they get. Because once they're gone or once we receive the gift, we can't go back to them and say, is this what you wanted? Because a lot of times in the will, things are not considered and advisors don't know what the charities are going through or do we accept endowments under a certain amount? Do we, mm. you know, there's a lot of kind of intricacies on the charitable side that we'd love to work with donors on to make sure that their wishes are exactly as, as they would like. Yeah. And this is when we're all plug advisors ability to help with this, because I think we discussed what percentage of Canadians actually leave money to charity in their, in their wills. It's, it's a pretty small one, isn't it? It's five to 10% right now. Versus how many actually donate during their lifetime? It's about 80 to 85%. Yeah. So that's that's a big spread, right? And I have to think that part of the problem is is looking at the will or estate planning as as just the act of getting the will, right? And I've seen it and I've participated in these things. And lawyers will ask the question, do you want to leave anything to charity? But if someone hasn't stopped to think about that well in advance of the lawyer asking them to fill out a form so they can get this thing done, you'd be like, uh, I, I don't know. Like that's, that's more often than not the conversation versus, you know, working with a planner who understands and looks for in it well in advance of the estate planning piece, like what causes or things are important to you? Is there a charitable request motivation? So by the time you actually get to the stage where the lawyer is involved, the answer is obviously yes. And it's a priority and a goal of the estate plan, not just a question. It's an afterthought. So I think, unfortunately, the problem is, is in design. We've designed the charity bequest and a will to be an afterthought as opposed to a priority. Absolutely. And I think, I think people often don't include a gift to charity in their will because they want to leave it to family and they don't mm -hmm. realize that the heirs 
CRA and charity as pick two. So they often pick CRA and their, and their heirs versus charity that they've supported their entire life and their heirs. So yeah, it's almost interesting. No matter, it's almost a scarcity mindset. They think that there's just not enough to go around. And if you don't work through those numbers and show them both scenarios, then it, it can that that can be absolutely the case. I mean, perfect example is the example you gave me on the RSP scenario. It's like, well, half of it's gonna get wiped out. You can donate all of it and basically pay next to nothing in taxes off it. And if you got a large enough estate, then you don't have to really worry about that. You know, that's gonna transfer more tax effectively anyway. So it makes a lot of sense. Right. So let's, you know, after you've gone through and helped them identify, they're connected with this. What is it they want to do? What is it they're trying to accomplish? And then what is they're going to give? You know, what else is involved in the process? Like, how do you keep them engaged and, and involved with the charity? So our focus is on stewardship after uh, once we talk to them about what they're going to do, because for me, my top priority is to make sure that the donor sees impact. And so we haven't received their gift yet. So we don't know, really, we, we don't have their exact impact, but being able to to show the impact that the charity is having having gives them a sense of belonging to the charity, really feeling like they're part of something, which is what we're seeing donors more engaged with right now. They really want to be part of a community of something rather than just here's my $50 check, which we saw from, you know, the older generation that was focused on writing the checks and, and direct direct marketing. Uh, we're seeing now a lot more on the engagement side. What can I do along with my investment and my my gift to this charity. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. First off, you don't want them changing their will on you. <laughs> it's uh, let's, let's deal with that. The second piece is, of course, I mean, like this is almost like a, you know, in Manslow's hierarchy and needs. Now we're talking self-actualization. Like what are the things that give you purpose in life beyond just, you know, shelter and everything else that's below. So knowing that your involvement or your legacy is going to involve helping people in XYZ capacity, it's kind of funny. Like, let's just, people often criticize millennials for wanting to feel purpose in their job. Yet, meanwhile, here we are talking about how we can help boomers basically feel purpose in their, in their death, right? Like that's essentially it, right? So uh, the millennials are just getting started earlier. Yeah. I mean, and it, the, the one thing is the will used to be called the last will and testament. And the mm -hmm. testament kind of shares about your life, about what you wanted in this world, what you've done in this world. And we've, we've lost that. Now it's just a will. It's a legal document. It's done. Yeah. You send it to the lawyers and, it, and that's it. And so working with a charity provides that last, the testament of what is, what's impactful to you. Yeah. But I also think at the same time, there's a very good reason why the testament stuff is left out now, because sometimes people put down the reason why they did something. That reason leads to challenges because it's like, whoa, that is racist or that is illegal or, oh no, there's some, there's some interesting cases. There was the one case where one daughter got cut out of another out of the, the estate and the other daughter got all of it because specifically said he was disinheriting her because she married a white boy. Yeah. So that was, I was like, whoa, that's an interesting one. And then it was also that case where, believe it or not, I think someone left it. I think it was to left their estate. To, I think it was the KKK of all things. It was just like, oh yeah, no, there's some, when, when you, when estates cross into those kinds of realms or even a simpler one, it was, and again, the, the racist one is the worst, you know, always the worst examples. Like, you know, once someone, someone put in a will that her house was only to be sold to a young white couple. And it's like, mm, yeah, I know your, your jaws dropping. So I give you oh, all these examples. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So here's the thing, right? I'm, I, I fully deplore that line of thinking across the board in all those three cases, but a lawyer is likely to coach people to not put stuff like that in there. They're going to be like, if this is the outcome you want, regardless of what I think of it, because I'm supposed to be impartial to this, then you want a will that's going to give you the highest probability of delivering on these on this goal. And if we start putting color as to why in this, specifically color that is highly challengeable, 
you're going to get challenged. So that's the issue. So that's, I think that's largely the reason why is that the cleaner you keep the will, the less likely you're opening up areas for conflict. So it is what it is. But I would say, I've told clients before, just tell people why you're doing things in advance. This is why we have family meetings, right? Hopefully you're not a racist. Anyway, let's say, so let's start all together. Luckily, I've had a very different experience from having people, you know, kind of discuss their why. And I think luckily it's from being in the charitable sector. And, well, you get to cha- really discuss the positive why, right? Yeah, it's a positive, positive why. why. So I, I don't get to see those negative whys that maybe the yeah. lawyers get to see. But having given some donors the opportunity to share their, their why on building an endowment, I once received this 10-page beautiful story full of pictures on really their story, their life, their daughter who passed. And it was, I was crying in my office. And so I feel like there's, there's something in that as people are figuring out what, what do they want to leave behind? It took him almost two years to get that to us when we had asked. And it was almost cathartic for him too, to go through the process of why he was doing this for his daughter and in the memory of his daughter. So, and I think it's, I'll go back to the concept of needing a family meeting. It is one thing to open an envelope, by the way, the, the entire myth of everybody goes to the lawyer's office and the lawyer reads the will that's Hollywood. That doesn't happen. That is meant for, you know, to shock everybody and create a storyline. In reality, the executor gets their hands on the will one way or another, reads it, executes it. And that's basically it. And you get notified what, what you're entitled to. But the bigger issue is like, I always tell people, it's one thing to open up an envelope and see what mom and dad wanted and never have been told. And then wonder what the heck was going on or be upset with the fact of it. Like imagine they leave it to leave money to a child who's not very charitably inclined. And he's looking and saying, why is this charity that like getting a giant chunk of my estate, like there are greedy people out there, right? And so it's one thing to, to read it after the fact. It's something else to sit down with your family and maybe the professionals in your life and have a conversation as to why it is you're doing this and the underlying deep motivations, right? And those underlying deep motivations can be incredibly intimately personal, just like the example you gave, right? And that is a much more highly effective way because now you're not disrespecting a piece of paper without context that your parents left you and, and it's making you angry. You're disrespecting their memory. And it's 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 hugely important, I think. So, so that's a sidetrack on, on effective estate planning, but nevertheless. So basically, let's talk about how business owners get started in, or anyone listening gets started in engaging with someone like you. What's What are the typical first steps? How do you first connect with people who are interested in doing something larger than just cutting the monthly check or the annual check? Yeah, I mean, so a lot a lot of people are already donors. So they kind of ask an info line and our customer or donor service team will send send that up to to me so that I can have a more in-depth conversation with them. And I really, you know, because I'm not the financial expert, I I lean on 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 those experts. I look to their their reason, their their why, what they what they want to to impact in their life or in their future and and then work from work from there and then suggest here are some ways that maybe you haven't thought of and please discuss it with your advisor because there's really I am not able to give financial advice but definitely know that there's other ways of giving that are not cash that I think they can seek out the proper support for. Absolutely. And again, for those who want to know more about those strategies, go back, listen to my conversation with Mark, because that was, uh, <laughs> we, we went over a lot of things in a very animated conversation as it always is with Mark. So anyway, Denise, I want to thank you for that. Where can people find you if they're interested in learning more? I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Denise Fernandez, and you can also get to me at, at the diabetes. Uh, it's denise.fernandez at diabetes.ca. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. And thank you for tuning in yet again to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.